turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be Luke chapter 6. We're going to be right at the end there, starting in verse 39. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, that's we, we have a stack on the table on your way in. So if you ever don't want to bring your Bible and you can grab it, I, be, I usually am reading from the CSB. Uh, so that's what the translation we've got out there on the welcome Table coming in, so we have them for to borrow. If you don't have a Bible, grab one. So, starting uh, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can the blind lead, you know, guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorns, thorn bushes, or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and and don't do the things that I say? I will show you what someone else is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river washed, uh, crashed against the house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open it up to us here this morning. God, that you would make us laugh and weep and be moved by your words, Lord Jesus, as your spirit, um, Lord, as your spirit stirs within us. God, speak to us your truth. Speak to us your way. And God, inspire us, Lord Jesus, with your life. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Little known fact. In order to know understand, and live a life of Islam, faithful to Allah, you don't actually have to read the Quran. You don't have to do it. You don't have to go any, any pilgrimages, pilgrimages. You just have to believe that, you know, Allah wants you to be happy and to go and do whatever makes you happy because then that makes Allah happy. You know, in order to, to live a life pleasing to Adonai, you don't have to read Torah or you know, the, the scriptures or you know, the rest of the prophets or even the mission and the Talmud. You don't even have to do all that stuff. You, know, you just have to make sure that you feel like what you're saying and doing feels like it makes sense to you and you know, is economical to you and Adonai is satisfied. Doesn't sound right, does it? No? <laughs> to glorify Jesus... You don't have to actually read the Bible or pray or, or really do anything. It really just, you know, it's just about making, you know, you feel good about life, 
Go to church on Sundays. Go to church on Sundays. Or, you know, watch it online. And follow and like, you know, those inspiring Instagram and Facebook posts. Right? Because that's what the, the Christian faith is all about. Feeling good. And making other people feel good. It's not that right, is it? No. Not really right at all. No, no. <laughs> Think about it, though. I mean, if you were going to, like, go and check out, okay, what is Islam belief? Like, I want to go and see what Muslims are all about. And I go to, this, uh, I go to their, their mosque. I want to hear what they believe. I want to hear what they think Allah is trying to tell them. I want to hear what the Quran has to say about the belief structures in which they live. The same thing with, with you know, the Jewish faith. I expect to go to Bet Shalom in Bozeman and hear what the Jewish faith in its historical context means to each believer. I want to know, because, you know, because I want an, an authentic representation of their faith. Same thing with like Hinduism and Buddhism. I want, if I go and I want to kind of check it out and like hear what they're talking about, I'm not saying that I want to. I'm just saying, you know, I would expect when I go there to hear an authentic transcription of their faith and belief and why it's encouraging to them, why it's inspiring to them, why they, they chose that course of belief to live their life according to. And does it actually make a difference to their life? The Christian faith has to be miles more than that. That when we come to church, when we come to this, this faith, when we come to this place, we are hearing and speaking and living what we truly say that we believe. And not so much what we, wait, what we say, but what this says our faith is all about. What the Bible says is the gospel of Jesus Christ and why it, it requires all of us all of our lives, I kind of have a joke whenever I go to, uh, to Belgrade Business Link. I go to the, you know, this, this you know, joint meeting with all the businesses in, in, in Belgrade. And they're, they're giving their, like, their spiels about what their businesses are about. And, you know, like this different, you know, corporation, you know, First Interstate and, or no, I'm sorry, my first, first Security Bank. And, uh, you know, and uh, <clears throat> Treasure State Restoration and all sorts of different businesses. And they're giving their spiel about what their business is all about. And it gets to me and I'm like... Well, our product is awesome, but it's interesting. So the cost of it, it's, it's kind of, we can't really discount it. Uh, it costs your entire life, but it gives you everything in return. And it's like how I get the chuckle from them, but it's so true. Our product costs you everything, everything. Everything that you are, everything that you say, everything that you do, everything that you believe, everything, every conversation you have, every step you take in this life, or every, every mile that you drive down the road, everything in your life is God's. <clears throat> and we live our lives according to that belief. The fruit of our lives gives validation to what we believe about this. 
And if our life does not, does not show and proclaim the goodness of Christ, what faith are we living? The question is, where do you stand? Now, this isn't like a quality thing as in like, you know, where do you stand with God? Are you here with God? Or are you here with God? Because, yeah. what's that? You can't quantify. So, because the thing is, you know, oftentimes I think we have this misunderstanding, and, and great, thank you for this point earlier, Eric, just that, that we feel like we have to get up to this place of, of being equal, you know, to earning enough that we're good enough for God. Like, we have to come and, and buy our, our lives, like applying these different things, like reading enough and praying enough and, and fixing up our life enough and getting rid of this enough and enough, enough, and enough in order to get up to this place where we feel good enough for God, like where he wants us to be. But it's up to us. Like I talked about a while back, it's almost like we have this belief that God gave us this divine preloaded gift card that was, we swipe it, and it forgave all of our past sins, but now it's up to us to keep reloading that gift card to pay for our future sins. That's called a works-based, maybe not former salvation, but sanctification, as often, oftentimes people call it, which we'll get to that word at the end here. And like in Nigo Montoya, you keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Someone hasn't seen Princess Bride. <laughs> movies. I'm, I quote movies. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll get there at the end of the sermon. But, we ha- but the, the, the gospel itself is that Jesus has made us enough and then some. Because remember, I love this point, and I'll preach it to the day that I die. All of your sins were future to Jesus Christ when he was dying on the cross. So what makes you think that your future sins are not paid for? They already are. Your, all of your sins were paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's the question. Where do you stand in your life? Where do you stand? Where's the placement that you stand? Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are enough for those who stand in Christ, do those who stand on the firm foundation of Christ. How do you move people towards a way of life without being an accuser or being guilt and shame driven as your catalyst or using guilt and shame as your catalyst? Because if you are enough, how do you then get people to move in, in the trajectory that's good for them, that defines the faith that they're in, that they're, that they're walking in, without using guilt and shame as your catalyst. Because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has made you enough, and he wants to lead you and guide you, and for, him to, for you to follow him. But he doesn't do it with guilt and shame. He uses caricatures and stories. But here's the thing about, you know, as we read back, because we're, we're talking about two of, the story, two of the caricatures that I used last week, um, you know, the log and the blind, but here, here's the thing. Jesus' points, they ain't complicated. This is not going to be a complicated, complex sermon. I feel like we should have just brought the kids up because this will be the, you know, they'll be able to understand it. <clears throat> it's a simple thing. Even children can understand it. Blind people can't lead blind people. 
Again, Jesus is funny, y'all. He uses these sort of kind of almost sarcastic stories to say, can blind people lead the blind people? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no. No. Because <laughs> they'll both fall into a ditch. What was Jesus' point? Be careful who you learn from. Be careful what you teach and you, because you will embody those that you follow. And like we talked about last week, be very mindful about what voices you allow into your life. Who who, is the, who are, are voices that you allow into your life to steer you? Now, here, there is a point to be said about listening to people that you, that you disagree with, right? Like, and so we don't, we don't necessarily demonize and like stop listening to all the voices that we don't want to listen to or disagree with, right? We, want, we sometimes want to get a good balance of certain understanding in our lives. Say, like, for instance, like the political sphere, like watching CNN or Fox, or Newsmax, or ONN, or MSNBC, like listening to a, a, a plethora of different sides and angles so that you can make up your own mind. Because that's what we talked about. We talked about last week. The Christian life is about living by your conscience, living and walking by the Spirit. And so we want to be well-informed of things. We don't want to be ignorant. That's what I mean. All, in the, all over the Scripture, it says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, for us in the scripture as Christians, about things of God. But also, the way that we navigate our culture, first and foremost, we don't want to be ignorant about the things that are in the Bible. These are the things that lead us, no matter what the talking heads say, no matter what social media says, no matter what your, you know, Aunt Shemima, you know, says, or Jemima, whatever, no matter what Uncle George, crazy Uncle George says, this is, we don't want to be ignorant about what the scriptures say. So how do you get to know what the scripture says? You don't become blind to it. You read it. You let Christ and the Holy Spirit lead you in your, in your reading of scripture. And let him guide you. And here's the thing, you got to listen. Because even a blind person can follow someone if they listen. But Jesus wants to open our eyes to the truth of the gospel. Next thing, you know, the funny caricature of the log in your eye, pointing out the splinter. Because remember, again, it's not necessarily, this isn't about guilt and shame. And I almost didn't use this picture because of her angry voice or angry face. But like this, this concept of projection, you know, that, you know that there's something wrong in your own life. But to avoid dealing with it internally, you focus externally on the faults of others. So that's what this illustration is talking about, is projection. Like, you know you got something. You know you got a in your thinking. You know you got the stinking thinking in a certain area of your life. But instead of dealing with it, instead of opening up the closet, taking it all out, cone-marring all those things, you know, holding something to the spark joy, getting rid of it, and then coming in with a deep cleaner and like vacuuming things out and, you know, getting all the cobwebs out, instead of dealing with the closet, we just close the door and go and deal with our neighbor's closet. This is projection. But Jesus' point is simple. Again, humility, not perfection. It's being willing to to welcome the neighborhood and say, I'm going to open my closet. Please help me clean out my closet. Many hands make light work. Not perfection. It's not about having your stuff together but having compassion to help and be helped.
Because remember, sometimes we might be the person with the splinter in our eye. So we need to have compassion to help others and also to receive help. That's also, in our culture, especially in the church sometimes, it can be so much more humbling to receive help. To say, I have a problem. To say, I need help. To say, I'm struggling. To say, can you help me? Change this area of my life. Support me in this. Pray for me. Man, I tell you what, guys, sometimes I think we can discount the the value of prayer. I'll pray for you. Or the dramatic, ooh, I'll pray for you. (laughs) But, or just the, I'll pray for you, but I don't really want to deal with this. I'm going to, I'll pray for you. Cool. But prayer is a powerful thing, y'all. When you speak your prayers over someone, you bless them with your words, it changes things. It declares those truths in the spiritual realm. It declares those truths in this world about that person. Because there are so many, so many, and way too many curses being flown around this world. You are this. You are that. Defining words that we proclaim, that people have proclaimed over us. Some of us for our entire lives. You're not a leader. You're not going to succeed in this area. You're foolish. You're stupid. We have all these curses that we have, have just slung over, been slung over our entire lives. Maybe by your father. Maybe by your brothers. Maybe by your, your mothers. Maybe by people in your life that you've felt close to. And it's like a ring that's you know, holding up this like huge curtain in your life just that's fear and not enough and go no farther. And it's the lies that are the rings that are holding up the lies in your life. The curses that people have spoken over your life. And that's what prayer does is it speaks blessing over people's lives. So instead of just saying, I'll pray for you, what if you stopped right then and there and said, can I pray for you right now? I'm going to put my hand on you. And I'm going to bless over you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to speak truth over you. I'm going to speak the gospel over you right now to break those curses that people have spoken over your life. Because words matter. In our heart, in our mind, in our spirits. So we need to bless one another constantly. If you know that someone is struggling over you, you know, that you're struggling or someone else is struggling, go to that person and speak blessings over them. Speak blessings over them in, in your prayer closet. That's one thing I, you know, I think we're, we've, we've talked about doing <clears throat> is transforming one of the rooms downstairs that used to be, the, or is the storage closet right now, and transforming it. it, it there's a, like a maintenance room downstairs. Transfer, transforming it into a warrior room. For us as a church to be able to come in and pray and fight and battle for one another. To intercede, to create an army of intercessors in the church. Because if we're not a praying people, we ain't going to be a powerful people. We need to be a praying people. So that God can raise up an army of powerful proclaimers of truth. And a powerful proclaimers of blessing and love.
And remember from our time last time, I want to remind us of this truth that forgiveness and loving your enemies cannot be separated. And so not only speaking truth over one another, but speaking blessing over our enemies. Because our enemies may also have been being just, you know, know, curse after curse after false truth after false truth proclaimed over their lives. And that's why they're living in a certain way. They're living in the hostility that's not who God has created them to be. And so we proclaim blessing over them so that God can transform their lives. And that's what it means to love our enemies and to forgive, to pardon, to bless where the enemy wants to curse. To bring restoration where the enemy desired death. Third illustration, the, the bad fruit and the, and the good fruit and the, and the good tree and the bad tree. <clears throat> this is a very simple point. Who you are defines the fruit of your life. What kind of tree you are is the fruit that you'll produce. But I love this. I just read, I've been, I, I, was, I was nerding out when I was at Temple Hills this last weekend. Uh, just reading Genesis in my net Bible, which has all these different like contextual things from the original language and all these things. I'm like, and one thing I read, I was like, yes! Because you know, I've been saying it, but I haven't heard, I heard many you know, theologians talk about it. And I'm like, yes, finally, it's right there in the notes. But one of the things I loved and that was so beautiful was that the, that the, you know, the garden itself, the majority of it, as it says, it, it, you know, it didn't say much about berries or anything, but it said, had a lot to say about fruit. And we read this, 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 uh, this book to our kids called uh, What's Heaven Going to Be Like? Or some, something about heaven. What is heaven? Yeah. By Dr. Jeffress from First Baptist Dallas <clears throat> for kids. And I love the, the reminder, the illustration that um, there's a tree in Revelation that's going to be in eternity. That is in eternity that produces 12 different kinds of fruit. And we, you know, it's funny, we had, you know, the table set out in front, you know, it was for kids. So it was like, had pizza and, you know, <laughs> burgers and things. Yeah, the pizza fruit and the, and the burger fruit. <laughs> but this, this tree that produced 12 different kinds of fruit and all the different kinds of, of fruit in the garden. And how that is like us in the church. We're not all the same tree. But the kind of tree that we are produces a certain kind of fruit. And so we don't need to judge and, 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 and basically like can kind of condemn each other or look down on each other because they're an, you're an orange tree, but you're not an apple tree. And that's, us, you, everyone should be apple trees because apple trees, apples are the best. But versus like, you got pomegranates and, and apples and peaches and pears, all sorts of different, mangoes, all sorts of different kinds of fruit. And each one is different. Each one is beautiful. Each one has a different flavor profile. Even different kind of apple trees. We, we, just have, we, have, we just planted two varieties of apple trees. So you may be an apple, but you're a different color, color, different color apple. A different sweetness. You might be a little sour. You know those, little, you know those sour pusses. <laughs> but they're good. They're beneficial. Right? The ones that are more tart are great in apple pies. Dutch apple pies. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Speaking my love language. Sorry, just a little break there. <laughs> Had to salivate. <laughs> it's got apples in it. It's healthy. Uh, 
But that's, you know, who you are defines the fruit of your life. The question is, are you a good tree or are you a bad tree? Are you a healthy tree or are you an unhealthy tree? Like that picture before. Are you a healthy fruit tree or are you a tree that no one wants to pick anything from? Which leads Jesus to an interesting question between the last two, two caricatures. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do what I say. Don't do the things that I say. You follow me. You call me Lord, Lord. You, you go to the, the big gatherings when I'm, when I'm preaching. But you don't do the things that I'm, te- that I'm preaching. Again, between these last two things, because here's the last illustration. The guy who built this house on the rock and the, the foundation, the guy who built it on the sand. You know, the... the, the uh, <clears throat> I think I've told this story a couple times about Gary, about how he was building a house out in Trail Creek, and he could not find good, solid foundation at all to build on. He said, well, we can build it here, but if anything happens to the ground, it starts to shift, the whole house is gone. Now, it looks, look, now it looks like it should be okay, but in, give it a few decades, and the whole landscape might look completely different. This whole thing might be washed out. You might not have a house to give to your, your kids. But what he did was he said, but I'm willing to do this for you. And he was like over a hundred or so of these things. What he did, he drilled down with these rebar and, and he found the, the bedrock. He was about 30 feet down and found the bedrock with these, with these rebar. And he, he did about a hundred of them all the way down, like 30 feet. And so it was, that, that house wasn't going anywhere. And because he, he, he founded the house on the bedrock, on the foundation so even if the ground shifts and changes, the house is solid. Solid. It's on the rock. Because Jesus' point is your, your resiliency, your resiliency is where you get your stability. I think it didn't save. I think I switched it and it didn't save your stability is where you get your resiliency. I was like, I know I switched that <laughs> when I was editing it, but I don't think it's saved. Your stability is where <laughs> your stability is where you get your resiliency. I love this this story. It's, it keeps coming up um, whenever I go to worship, whenever I, you know, I'm in spending time in, in, in the Word. Jeremiah seventeen um, five through eight says this beautiful, powerful passage. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind, who makes human flesh his strength, and his heart turns from the Lord. He will be like a juniper in the Arabah. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness, in the salt land where no one lives. Now here's the thing about, about juniper trees. If you're a hunter, you've like my, you know, anyone, any hunters in the room? Hunters? Really? Okay, well, don't be offended. I'm a hunter. I like to kill. <laughs> I like to kill food. Uh, <laughs> but so out when out when I'm I'm hunting, I, I hunt out in the like rolling hills and the mountains, and there's a lot of juniper trees, right? And they can survive on very very little of water, if, if any, at all. Like there's very very deserty places, and they still grow berries, juniper berries which are apparently are great for your kidneys and liver and your, and your whole thing. 
I learned that with essential oils. <laughs> but the thing about junipers is that they're in places, they live in places where no one goes. Not many people go out to enjoy juniper bear, a juniper tree out in the wilderness. But what does it say? The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It, sh- it sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Now the imagery here is that when the tree, when you plant, you know, a tree is planted near a water source, when, you know, a stream that's flowing, what it'll do, it won't just send it out to where the stream is, it'll send it down in the ground and over underneath the stream. Because God created it this way. It's kind of, he was kind of brilliant when he did this. Trees know that that stream is not always going to be there on the surface. And so it goes deep. Because it knows that when it, the, the, on the, the surface stream is, is not going, there's a, there is the waterway, there's the water underground that is still running, it's still flowing. And so it digs down deep. So when the heat on the surface happens, it you know, comes... It's not afraid when that stream dries up because it's got a water source deeper than the surface. Do you have a water source deeper than the surface things of this life? First Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter four says, additionally then brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that you live that you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing. Do this even more, for you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your holy living, your sanctification. We'll get to that word. That you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means... One must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. So I want to look at that word for just a minute. That word, hagiosmos, hagiosmos. That word for, it's usually translated oftentimes as, as sanctification. The connotation of this word is holy living. <clears throat> it's it's the, the act of making something set apart or making it holy is the base word, hagios. But what this means is it's not this, as, as sometimes it's, it's translated as you doing work to reload the holy gift card with your works and with your love and with your obedience and all sorts of stuff in order to apply or to, you know, just to appropriate the grace of God to make you holier. You are holy because of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. He has made you holy. The great exchange, all of his, all of his holiness and righteousness for all of our sin. You are holy. You have been set apart. The connotation of this word isn't you becoming holier. It's you 
living that holiness that you are on the, more on the outside. Getting rid of the stinking thinking, getting rid of the worldly ways, the worldly thoughts in our, in our mentality. Because remember that word for, for repent, metanoia, change your thinking, ch- you know, change meta, noyeo, thinking, logic, mind. The thing that drives your actions, change that so that your actions change. That's what, re- that's what re- repenting means. That's what metanoia means. So that what appears on the outside, what your fruit is and what your fruit becomes is a result of you changing your mind. Changing the, 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 the computer, the, the hard drive, the motherboard in here so that your fruit is evident on the outside. Shifting the way you think. So that you, so that the holiness, the holiness of who you are, appears on the outside. The holiness in here, make it come out here. Make it evident. And what fruit are we talking about? The fruit of the Spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Showing God on the outside because you're, you know and have engaged and encountered him on the inside. Now the question is, what do you do when life is in a dead spin? Because oftentimes we can be thrown, thrown, thrown a curve. Like it says, when the heat comes on that tree that's planted by the, by the oak, it says, when the heat comes. It doesn't say if the heat, if the heat comes. It says, when it comes. So, not so much if your, your life goes in a dead spin, but when your life gets put, thrown into a dead spin. What do I mean by dead spin? So, I got, I got to hang out this weekend at uh, Temple Hills Camp Opening um, with, with a gentleman named Paul. And he's on the board with me. And uh, he was a pilot, in, you know, has, has been a pilot for his whole life. He based right here out of Belgrade. He used to live, actually, uh, in the... the, the house at the Montessori school over here and he's got some stories to tell about this church I tell you what it's fun you know this one time someone pulled a prank prank and and actually like strung up a a trailer up the steeple that was kind of a fun story but (laughs) he's got some great stories about this area but I love the story that he told told me about a year ago and I I got more details from him yesterday because I was like I want to preach that story it's awesome but so he his father was was a pilot in the war in the great world war ii and there was, there was a time when his father was in a dead spin. He, got, he hit this, this air thing and just kind of flew, flew his plane kind of in a, in a spin. And I was like, whoa, how do you recover from that? <clears throat> and so he, he, the co-pilot, I don't know how he did this. He just very calmly just kept saying, ball and needle, attitude, altitude. Ball and needle, attitude, altitude. Ball and needle, Attitude, altitude. Just kept saying those, th- those three things over and over again. Right? And so what does that mean? So ball and needle, I came to find out, is your, nail, your, your nose in alignment with your tail. So the ball and needle. Which, what, what is your trajectory? What is your trajectory? And you do like so, because that's the problem. You're spinning. So you want to get them steadied out. So even if you're just like this, the second thing is attitude, which is what? Your, your pitch. Are you, are you in 
alignment? Are you straight? Are you upside down? But you have to make sure that you are, are straight. You're level with the horizon. And then you give it altitude. Then you give it the gas. Because if you don't, if you get your ball and needle, good, and then you give it, give it, uh, your, you give it the gas, you give it acceleration, you're upside down. Exactly. At an angle, this angle, you got to make sure that you are level and straight and ready for when the gas comes, for when the trajectory is, is in full swing. So the three things I want us to, to come out from this morning is trajectory, stability, and gumption. I love the word. Trajectory, stability, and gumption. So when life throws you into a dead spin, Focus first on what is your trajectory and how do you get that? Well, for a pilot, they look at the instruments. For believers, for Christians, we look at the instruments. We look at what God has said first. We pray, we spend time in his presence. We spend time in prayer with him to get our trajectory, even if we have no energy to do anything about it. Even if we have no belief yet to do anything about it getting our trajectory aligned and ready, saying, God, I'll go. And then making sure, okay, my attitude is, I need to get fix my attitude. I need to get stable with where I'm at. My buddy Rob McCormick always has a phrase for this. He calls it, calm the crisis. When we get to this place, we're just sitting there and we are calm with the horizon. We are with our Lord and Savior. We're steady with him. We're stable we're not spinning out of control. We've got our trajectory. We've got our stability. Now what, God? And that's when God throws it into high gear. That's where the gumption comes from. That's the acceleration. That's the power. That's the... Get going. Go do something about it. You got your trajectory. You've got your stability. Now kick it into high gear and fly. Because that's God's, that's God's heart for us. That's God's heart for you. It's not that he wants to, you to live a powerless existence. A living, you know, just kind of scraping in the dirt for whatever you can, you can accomplish on your own for trying to just simply be good enough for God, that you keep going to church enough and try to read your Bible enough and try to pray enough and try to do this enough to earn something for God. He's made you enough. He's made you holy. And he wants to give you that trajectory and that stability in your life so that he can empower you with this Holy Spirit. So he can empower you with the gospel And what do we do with it? We take it to the world. We take it to a dying world who they also need. Ball and needle. Attitude and then altitude. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ to give them their trajectory. They need the gospel. That's what this whole thing is about. Is... Are you going to be here or are you going to be there? Are you going to be an unhealthy fruit tree and, and, or a house on, on, the, on the sand? Or are you going to be someone that, that is a good tree producing good fruit that is a house on the, on, you know, founded on the, on the bedrock? Are you going to be stable in your life? Are you going to be this or are you going to be that? Are you going to be a juniper tree or are you going to be an oak tree you know, planted by the, by the streams? 
That's the whole point of these things. Where is the foundation of your life? Where do you stand? Because our, our, what God's call is, is, is for us to go into our, into our lives, go into our workplaces, go into our families, go into our friends, though, those who will listen. And that's a very key point. Anyone who will listen. You don't just go up like, to people on the street. They're not going to listen to you. <laughs> You've got to earn the right to be heard. So that they can experience the hope of the gospel. Not just the oppression of the gospel through a tract. Or a blind, a blind out, of, out of the blue thing. Unless it's God leading you to that, pl- that place. Maybe you're engaging into a relationship. You may not know the person, but God is leading you to that person. And you're engaging that relationship. You're opening that relationship with someone. He's speaking words of truth over them. Speaking blessing over people. How do you speak blessing over people that you don't even know? How, today, how do you speak blessing over your waitress or your waiter or your host or your hostess? How do you speak blessing over the person next to you in the restaurant or wherever you go, to the hardware store? How do you speak blessing even if you're not using, you know, oh, bless you, brother. How do you speak blessing and be a blessing so that they can see Jesus in you and bring them into the relationship even if they just leave the conversation like, wow, that was different, but that felt good. Like leaving a Chick-fil-A. You'll, you'll know what that, mean, that means in a moment, in a little while. Belgrade's getting a Chick-fil-A. Really? <laughs> you just leave happy. How would it be if people left your presence happier and they didn't know why? Because you were blessing them. Maybe you were just praying for them in your spirit. Maybe you were just praying for them as you're as, as they were taking your order, God bless this person. Maybe even ask them, hey, we're about to pray for our meal. Can we pray for you? How can we pray for you? We want to encourage you. We're going to be generous and leave you a great tip. We're not just going to leave you one of those million dollar bills that's actually a tract that tells you again that you're not good enough. I, 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 tip, I, tip, I tip God, you know, 10%. Why should I, you know, donate, you know, pay you 18? Be generous, be kind, be loving even if they get your order wrong. Be patient. Give grace. How we, enca- how we engage people around us will show us where our foundation is. You all know the people that with the, with the fish on the back of their car that cut you off in traffic. We all know the Christians who are in the restaurant, jip people with the million dollar tract and aren't actually generous. It shows where the foundation of their life is. But are we generous? Are we kind? Are we loving? Are we inviting relationship with them? Because the whole, whole I, I, I preached this, 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 this verse last week, but this is the verse that should just wrap, wrap it all up together. The one who pursues righteousness and faithful love will find life, righteousness, and honor. If you, produce, if you, if you per, pursue righteousness and faithful love, you'll find life. If you pursue God, if you pursue Christ in relationship with him, you will find life and righteousness and honor. He guarantees it. That's a promise. You can take that sucker to the bank. Or online if your bank is online. You can take it to the bank. It's a promise that will come true. 
When God promises it, it'll happen. It will never get taken away. Boom. So the question still stands. Where do you stand? Where is the foundation of your life? Are you blind? Or has God opened your eyes? You got a log in your eye? Or are you clear-sighted? The Bible has a lot to say. You, those who can see, those who can hear, let them hear, let them see what the Holy Spirit is, is saying to you. Are you a bad tree? Good tree. House on the sand, house on the rock. Where do you stand? Remember, Balanito, attitude, altitude. And I pray that you would know the depth of God's love for you. The depth of how much he cares about you. How much he wants to set your trajectory and stability and give you the power to give you that gumption, to live a life of gumption. Confident. Come before the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy in the time of need. for him to remind you of his love for you and bless one another and bless those around us as we go, as you live. Jesus, we thank you for your words, your simple caricatures of your love for us and where you desire for our lives to be founded, to be grounded in you, Lord Jesus, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us a trajectory. Give us your trajectory and your stability in our lives. And give us, Lord Jesus, that altitude. Give us that power and that gumption to live a life of gumption in the Holy Spirit, knowing who we are in you, Christ, as we live our lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and pray blessing. God, I pray blessing over each man and woman that is here in this room, that is in this place, God, who's listening to this sermon. God, I just pray your blessing and your joy over their lives. God, that you would flourish each person in this room. We love you, God. Give us gumption to live a life founded in the the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.